Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome to the regular Monday night class against the stream. Um, Anybody here for the first time? Welcome, 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 welcome. Everybody at home tuning in for the first time. Um, We are encouraging people to wear masks when you enter and exit or if you're walking around, going to the bathroom or something. But if you feel like you want to take your mask off while you're meditating, you're welcome to do that. It's okay. Up to you. And um, I think we'll just jump right into a meditation tonight, lead some mindfulness practice, and then um, we'll have some discussion afterwards. So find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed. Allowing our eyes to be closed, we bring our full attention inward bringing mindfulness into our bodies. Taking a moment to release any tension, soften, the brow, the jaw, shoulders. Feel the expanding and contracting of the torso with each breath. And as you exhale, try to soften the belly, the heart. With each exhale, relaxing into the present time experience, letting go of the busyness of our days, and arriving in the present in our bodies. Taking a moment to establish a intention to be kind, to be friendly, to be patient, tolerant, 
compassionate with your own mind and body during this meditation. Perhaps the loving kindness phrase, if it resonates, saying to ourselves, may I be at ease. May I be at ease with myself just as I am, with my mind, my heart, my body. Extending the same wish for ease to all of the people meditating together tonight. Everyone here in the room, everyone at home, joining us on Zoom. May you be at ease with yourself just as you are, your mind, your body. And we can extend this wish, this kind intention outward in all directions, just as we are seeking ease and well-being, freedom from suffering. May all living beings in all directions be at ease. The Buddha is rumored to have said that we could search all realms of existence and never find anyone more worthy of our kindness than ourselves. So it's coming back to yourself, your body, your mind with kind mindfulness, kind awareness. And spending a few minutes simply paying attention to the sensations that the breath creates. Breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out. Feel, receive, investigate the breath. And let everything else be in the background. Thoughts perhaps continuing 
but not paying attention to them, not getting involved in the content. Letting them float past in the background. And the foreground becomes our focus, mindfulness of the breath. you're new to the practice, it's sometimes suggested to note in as you breathe in and out as you breathe out, just silently in your own mind, tracking the breath as it comes and goes. And then when the attention is drawn away from the breath to thinking or hearing, just noting that, thinking again, without judgment, with acceptance. And then come back to the breath.
If you're pretty new to this kind of practice, just keep coming back to the breath. Keep ignoring the thinking mind. Keep disengaging from the future and past, returning to the present. The Buddha's instructions expand beyond mindfulness of the breath to mindfulness, present time awareness of our whole being, this physical body full of sensations, the sense doors of hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting. Investigating the physical and emotional and mental phenomena of the present. Whatever you're paying attention to right now, acknowledge it, breathing, thinking, feeling, hearing. And try to identify how it feels 
Is it a pleasant thought, unpleasant thought, neutral? Does your breath feel pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? If we bring our attention to different parts of the body, probably some parts of the body are quite neutral, comfortable without being pleasant. Some parts of the body perhaps uncomfortable, unpleasant, painful.
mindfulness shows us clearly what's happening. Thoughts are arising and passing, sensations coming and going, sounds appearing, dissolving. Mindfulness also shows us that everything we experience is perceived as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. We begin to have more tolerance for the unpleasant by learning to sit with it, paying attention to it. and less attachment, less craving for the pleasant as we see how impermanent, unreliable, pleasant experience is.
spending the last couple of minutes coming back to where we began, the attitude of friendliness, of kindness, acceptance. Saying to ourselves, may I be at ease with this mind, with all of its incredible abilities and many bad habits, confusions, judgments, fears. May I be at ease with my body, the joy and sorrow of having a body. And again, extending this loving kindness, well-wishing, goodwill, friendliness to each other. May you be at ease with your mind. And outward in all directions. with the phrase, may all beings do what they need to do to come to peace, to be at ease with whatever they're facing. May all beings be at ease through their own efforts. Taking a moment to reflect, recollect. What was happening in your heart and mind? How you're relating to it tonight?
and reflect for a minute on um, what it is that you are enjoying about Buddhism, what it is that you like about it, how it's helping you, if it's helping you yet. Some of you are just desperate, hoping that it'll help. <laughs> Most of us have gotten some benefits from it, and that's why we keep doing it, keep coming back to the cushion, to class. And when you reflect on what you, it's a couple sides to this question. Uh, when you re reflect on what you know, know about Buddhism already, um, are there any questions that you have? Is there any areas of the Buddha's teachings that you um, want to talk about, that you want to hear more about? Is there topics that you're uh, interested in? Um, so reflecting on that, maybe some things come to mind that you're like, yeah, I would really like to uh, talk more about equanimity or more about forgiveness or more about um, relationships or, you know, something. So think about like what's up for you, what uh, kind of uh, you could sort of choose the topic, what would it be? And then if you're not so familiar with Buddhism or you have some life questions, world questions, um, topics that you feel like would be useful for you to, to hear about, for us to, you know, if it's, the way that this usually works is that if it's good for you, it's probably, there's a whole bunch of other people that it would be good for also. If you have a question, it's probably a lot of people's questions. And um, one of the things I love about teaching Buddhism is that so often, um, no matter what the topic is, people will come up and be like, you're just, that was exactly right for me tonight. <laughs> because the way that the Buddha and Buddhism, uh, you know, addresses the human condition where it can feel like, oh, that was just for me. Because I'm a human. <laughs> and here we are talking about like what it's like to be a person and with a mind and a body and and how we all suffer about it and how we'd all like to suffer less and, and have more freedom. So what are some of the areas, some of the topics, some of the issues you would like to? So this is partially for tonight. I'll try to get to some of this tonight, but also what I'm asking for, um, Many of you know that come regularly. I just finished a several month um, series on my book, Heart of the Revolution, and we finished it last week. And I wasn't quite motivated to jump into another list of teachings. And I thought, actually, I'd like to ask the Sangha what you'd like to hear about rather than me. It's one of the dilemmas of being a Dharma teacher is that I always have to decide, like, what am I going to teach tonight? Uh, what am I going to teach, you know? Uh, and it's the same shit over and over, as you know. Those of you who've been coming for a while, it's the same shit over and over. But I thought I'd give uh, those of you who attend, uh, whether it's your first time or you attend regularly, 
the opportunity to say, this is the stuff I'd like to hear about. These are some of the specific areas of the teachings or uh, areas of life that I'd like to be addressed, please. So at home, if you want to, um, if you want to say it, you can raise your hand and I'll call on you. If you want to put it in the chat, I'm going to take notes and then I'm going to systematically say, I don't know to all of the questions. Well, just generally, as things are starting to open up and we're interacting with others more, and yet we're still COVID and the pandemic. Um, I don't know if I have a specific question, but could you address it in some way and just talk about maybe relationships in that I feel like it's hard to communicate with people more than usual at this time. And I'm wondering as things open up more, I don't know if that's lessening or getting worse or changing or just being different, but how to interact with others, something about the difficulty now or how to address it maybe. Um, the note that I took was re-navigating the re-emerging from the kind of COVID lockdown situation that we've been in for a year. And now like, oh shit, how do I, people, <laughs> how do I, and, and some of the, um, there's a lot to navigate. We just took a year off, most of us from uh, engaging a lot with people. Maybe some people are going like, no, I didn't take any time off at all. But um, a lot of people did. A lot of people are feeling like, whoa, I was really at home a lot. And now I'm like my first time in a restaurant or my first time back at meditation class for a year or um, whatever it is. So I'll take that as a topic. Um, what else, please? I think partially pandemic related is just all other parts of my life as well. Um, there's just been a big cloud of uncertainty about pretty much everything. Um, it seems to be a prevailing theme in the past year, really year and a half. And I'm just curious about, you know, what these teachings deals with, I guess, the acceptance of uncertainty. Because there has been a certain level of just I don't want to say resignation, but maybe unwilling acceptance. Mm. Okay, that's a great, that's a great topic. I'd love to do a talk on that. I don't think I'll do that tonight, but that's a great one. Um, let me take a couple from online. Uh, Richard, go ahead, unmute, and tell me your topic. Uh Evening, Noah. Good to see you. You too. Um, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to phrase this because I don't want it to get way out there. But it's about Buddhism. And that's what we're here to talk about. And the question that comes to mind is, what is this all about? What is this for? Why do we do this? Do you mean Buddhism or, or incarnation? No, Buddha, Buddhism. Why, why are we following this path? What's, what's the point? Is it to have a better life, you know, like a self-improvement plan that we can have good lives and, and, you know, reduce our suffering? Or is it something even beyond that? In, in Buddhist texts, they talk a lot about this thing called enlightenment, but we don't talk about it too much here. 
because it seems unattainable and maybe that's beside the point. Maybe it's just to decrease suffering and to have good lives and to treat each other well with no harm. But I wonder, I just wonder, it's like, what, what, what's it all about? Happy to uh, put that on the list. Thank you, Richard. Uh, yeah. I was just going to remind my soul a little bit. Uh, and uh, so I'm pretty well in tune with the you know, the gravity of like COVID, and we're all, we all pretty much are <laughs> pretty well in tune with the gravity of it. And we've got things starting back up again, and <clears throat> all of the stressors and the anxiety. And I was going over my mind, I was trying to think of the more, I remember when I was a child, I read, I think the book was on, on a path of white clouds or something like that. I read it when I was a child, and it was. It was this collection, it was an anthology of stories, more lighthearted stories that didn't always necessarily have deeper significance. They were just things that were going basically walk about. And I just remember thinking about that. I can't remember a single one of the more lighthearted, one of the more whimsical or light tone um, things about Buddhism that I learned when I was younger. And Buddhism, I always took it so seriously. So everything. So yeah, that's where my mind went when you asked that question. Do you think they were, um, were sometimes they like stories about animals, like the Buddha and past incarnations of like, uh, they were like animal stories and stuff like that? Uh, yeah. Different. Yeah. And the thing they would walk about and just like visibly narrow up the way. Um, and I think Lauren they had this. Was that a Thich Nhat Hanh book that you're talking about? The Old yeah, Path, she, White Clouds? That's the, yeah. she, she called it, she nailed it. Yeah. I think you told the story of the Buddhist life, but yeah, you, like you said, you did it in a really like accessible mm. way, like you could be very young and understand yeah. it very yeah. easily. Yeah. Very, yeah, very through the narrative, and narrative driven rather than I could do, I could do some of those stories. Yeah. I also saw a question online about um, Buddhist folklore stories and myths. And um, there's this whole collection that's called the Jataka Tales. And there's, I think, three or four books full that are attributed to the Buddha's previous incarnations and all of these different uh, stories and uh, experiences. And there's always a moral to every story, every kind of like, and in this lifetime, I learned compassion. And in this lifetime, I learned generosity. In this lifetime, I learned. Um, but I could play with some of those stories. Some of those are actually quite fun to, to tell. Um, who was next? I think, uh, Lee, you're next. Hey, thanks. Um, I have been thinking a lot about, um, like, how to how to overcome the suffering of dissociating like in public or interpersonally it's kind of related to coming back into the practice that has been so freeing and uh really revolutionary um for me and i'm just now that i'm back in you know in person, it, it feels like I'm sometimes dissociating and I feel like I'm really grateful to Buddhism and from, you know, Sangha and meditation for teaching me what it feels like when I'm actually embodied and when I'm not dissociating. And that's so, it feels really freeing. And I'm wondering like, you know, um, how to, how to kind of navigate that freedom and, and revolution against the the currents that tell me to kind of dissociate when some when something's happening and um i'd love kind of just to 
have um, some speech toward that skill set that's maybe more directed toward the interpersonal freedom. Yeah. So um, if I, the note that I took was uh, how to stay present even when it's difficult, even when, you know, when there's some conflict or some, some challenge, is that the spirit of what you're looking for, Lee? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Eric, go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yep. Great. So this, this is in the spirit of um, uh, somewhere in between uh, Richard's suggestion of sort of the big question, what's it all for? And then someone else had said, um, things attached or related to coming back out of COVID. And it follows, in, for me anyway, from, from this last several months in the book, which I read, it's called Heart of the Revolution. And <clears throat> the way I read it or felt it was the heart of the revolutionary. The revolution was implied, but not described. And so I, I sort of feel like coming out of COVID, a lot of us have been disrupted in work. There's sort of a, a little bit of a reset button, a time of creativity, opportunity, challenge. How do we apply this stuff? Like what, what, what part of the path, you know, let's, just as I'm being a lot more open-minded and in touch with myself internally, what, what does that look like when I apply that to what I do with my life's work at a time where there's so much up for grabs and so much turmoil? Maybe right livelihood exploded. <laughs> I don't know. Got it. Thank you. Uh, anybody else in the room have a topic? Please, Tara. Yeah, what uh, comes to mind for me, like one of the biggest themes for me this past year of reflection is really tuning into my relationships and. Um, quality of those relationships and now you know assessing levels of closeness, levels of acquaintanceship, and then now that the pandemic kind of reopening, it's kind of emerging or kind of falling back in the way that things were. And it doesn't feel necessarily aligned like it once did. And um, noticing that there's some relationships that just don't serve me anymore. Skillfully do that, um, as well as remain mindful going forward of just being all that intellectually and, and skillfully establishing contact with different people, not so much speaking and then also embracing that up. Okay. Uh, is it Sean Ripley, St. Ripley? No, my first name's uh, Nate, but Nate, I just went Ripley. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, so thanks for calling on me. Um, uh, similar background of, you know, punk rock and a lot of animosity towards the world, which um, I'd like to kind of dive into getting a better understanding of how to relate to all the anger and frustration that's kind of brought up through watching what's going on in the political world, um, as well as, you know, what's going on overseas and all, all these kind of 
capitalist or imperialist atrocities. Um, so that's one. And then another one, just another idea that kind of popped in my head here is maybe some of the other, uh, some kind of diving into the interconnectedness between yoga and Buddhism and not just like the physical asana practice, but like the whole eight limbs of yoga and all that. Would love to learn more about those. I'm happy to talk about the um, anger. Um, I don't think I'm, I'm not the right person to probably try to talk about the connectedness between the, you know, Vedic Hindu path and the Buddhist path. I don't know enough about Hinduism and the yoga philosophies to, to do it, um, you know, do it, do it, do it well. So I didn't, I wasn't assuming you were, but I thought, Hey, maybe here's an idea. Maybe throw it out there and see. I'll just, you know, say like they ripped off the Buddha. Or the Buddha ripped them off. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, they would say the Buddha ripped off Hinduism, you know, so I don't know. Um, Michael, go ahead. Thanks, Noah. Um, I had a suggestion, maybe like a, I don't know if you could do it like in one sitting or maybe have a full plot series. These books by Ajahn Amaro, the, um, the books about the divine abodes, like the I'm right, you're wrong, the love and kindness book, who's pulling the strings, equanimity, don't push compassion, just one more piece of joy. If like, I don't know, one week you could go through one of them and just give reflections on it or I don't, maybe it would be useful and people could find some benefit from it. The Brahma Viharas, Ajahn Amaro style. Got it. Yeah, yeah those books are great. Um, okay, so I've got a handful. Anything else? There was also a bunch in the, um, I need to go back through the chat and write these down suffering, trust and forgiveness, appreciative joy, loneliness. Please, Tibby. Got it. Please. Um, so I tend to be kind of meditation phobic because I don't I don't realize the gravity of the problems that I have until I stop. So in my head, I think I don't have any problems until I stop. So I think that's a problem a lot of people have. And I guess for people that are beginning into this practice, 
learned how to just let it go long enough to calm the fuck down. Um, that would be such a relief. I mean, the willingness to turn towards yeah, ourselves. And you're and... Enough to like be in accord with what's going on in your head mm -hmm. and maybe realizing that maybe if you stop once in a while, you're going to have some of your own problems. I love that, you know, sort of insight already around like, oh, yeah, I think that I'm fine as long as I keep going. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then I slow down, I'm like, oh, shit. And there's, I think that's a problem for a lot of people, especially like successful people, is that you know they they are successful because they avoid their life by by working or by doing stuff. And on the outside, they look they look like they have it together, but on the inside, the reason why they're doing that is because they can't be in accord with themselves. And I think that's a pretty relatable thing across the board. Okay, last couple ones, Jeff, or let's see, uh, Katrina, you were first. Thanks. Um, I put it in the chat so you'll get it twice, but I just wanted to learn the connection or better use of non-judgmental awareness and discernment. I end up using non-judgmental awareness and going straight to acceptance and then I accept more than I should because I don't have the discernment. So that'd be helpful. Thanks. And thanks, Jeff, for helping me figure out how to find the hand raise things. Thanks, Katrina. I will cover that at some point, the best of my ability. Jeff and or Emily. Hey, bro. Hey, um, I actually need to credit uh, a fellow that I'm working with in the Refuge Recovery Program on this. He brought up this question. I gave it my best shot, but I'd like you to elaborate on it. Um, it's out of the refuge recovery text. It says, concentration is one of our precious and useful tools on the path of recovery. If used wisely, it will profoundly help our process of awakening. If misused or abused, it could postpone our liberation indefinitely. Be wary of teachers or traditions that are only offering concentration-based practices. Mindfulness is the true cause of liberating. Insights, concentration, supports mindfulness. Uh, can you elaborate on how if misused or abused concentration meditation alone could be problematic? Yes, I would love to. I knew you would. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Um, that's That'll get us through a few weeks. <laughs> and I, there's a bunch in the um, after class. I'll write down the ones that got put in the chat. For tonight, I, uh, I'm not going to try to tackle any of these tonight. Uh, I actually want to look at the topics and sit with them and, and uh, actually develop some talks for you guys. But for tonight, I, a couple of things on my mind partially from this discussion, partially from uh, my own practice and my own life.
yesterday I was doing a podcast with some friends. Um, and we we're mostly talking about addiction recovery and um, but towards the end of it, one of the guys uh, asked me to talk about um, this phenomena that he had just recently experienced, but um, probably most of us are, are somewhat familiar with it. When uh, so you hear about somebody or you know somebody who kills themselves, who, um, you know, who commits suicide, but uh, sort of looked, they looked okay on the outside. And even the people around him said, like, we didn't think anything was, thought they were fine. And then just sort of suicide out of the, uh, seems like out of the blue. And, um, and who knows, you know, it's a, it's a big, big thing. But one of the things that was coming up for me, because I've heard this, I mean, I've, I've known a lot of people that have taken their own lives, where it was quite obvious that they were suffering a lot, and they wanted out of the suffering. And, um, but I've also heard, uh, you know, this, this story about like, just that they seemed, uh, if you asked them, they would have said they were fine. And then they took themselves out. And, and uh, I, I heard about this a few times in about people with long term recovery, people with uh, or, um, you know, been in spiritual practice for a long time. And th that that uh, what I think can happen sometimes is that the ego, the self, the ego self can get so attached to looking good and to like, I'm sober for a long time, or I've been meditating for a long time, or I'm successful in some way or another, and um, that we stop uh, being honest. We stop telling on ourselves. We stop sharing what, what's really going on um, with each other. And I was just thinking about like how important humility, I mean, kind of the topic was just like the humility to, uh, be real with each other and to be honest about like, of course, I'm suffering sometimes. And, and of course, I uh, have all these difficult emotions. And when I talk about them, when I get honest, when I share them in therapy or with friends or whomever, uh, there's, it's like a release valve. And the importance of, of, um, of release valve. And I don't know that we do it the best. I don't think, I don't feel like I've set it up the best in the against the stream community. Like in, in our refuge community, we have uh, mentors. We have people that are like our, uh, you know, um, uh, you know uh, support and encouragement and we're accountable. And we, you know, we do these inventories and we share them with each other. And it's really, you know, having that person to say like, this is the shit that's going on in my life. And this is how I'm suffering about it. <laughs> this is how I'm suffering at, you know, like so many of these questions. This is how I'm suffering at the world. This is how I'm suffering at the pandemic. This is how I'm, you know, um, and just the importance of having that humility to say like, yeah, I'm suffering. Because when we don't have that uh, confessional, I, I feel like humans on some level were like a, a pressure cooker or something. And if we don't let any steam out and you don't talk about it and you don't share it and you don't let people around you see that like, yeah, I'm a suffering person. Like, and I, I, I love Buddhism. 
I love that the first noble truth just normalizes. Like, it's not like, because I feel like we're in this culture where suffering is like a failure. Like you're supposed to be like, even just the common, like, how are you? I'm good. Like, you're just supposed to say that it's expected. <laughs> I'm good. I'm fine. I'm, I'm okay. Rather than, you know, and this is a whole different topic, but usually, you know, when people ask us how we're doing, they don't really want to know. <laughs> They really hope that you just say, I'm fine, right? They don't want to hear like, well, I'm really quite afraid in the moment. <laughs> I'm really freaked out about what's happening on this planet. I'm really lonely. You should try that, you know, like when somebody <laughs> asks you, how are you? I'm like, terribly lonely. Thank you for asking. <laughs> how are you? Um. In, there's a traditional in the Buddhist sanghas uh, where when I say that song, traditional sanghas like of the monks and the nuns, uh, you know, they live in community, but they have a process of confession. And I think it happens twice a month where they get together. I think it's like the full moon and the new moon. There's some, some lunar cycle where they get together and they all tell on themselves. And they all say like, yeah, you know, I, I broke this precept and I broke that precept. And I had all of this anger <laughs> and I had all of this fear, you know, and they, and they just open up to each other. And it's not like the, I don't know anything really about Catholicism, but it's not my idea. I've seen it in a lot of, a lot of confessions in movies, um, but it's not like this sort of like I've sinned. It's just like this normalized, like, yep, I'm not perfect. <laughs> and then there's this, it's a little bit ritualized, but there's this beautiful, uh, sort of ritual that goes along with the Buddhist confession, which is uh, the preceptor, this, the most senior person says, um, well, please forgive me if there's any way that I have caused you harm, and I forgive you for, you know, your transgressions, whatever they are. And it's this really beautiful sort of back and forth where the most senior person also asks for forgiveness and acknowledges imperfection, and just this freely sort of normalizing, like, yeah, of course you've broken some precepts. Of course you haven't been perfectly mindful or perfectly compassionate or perfectly, right? And until you're a Buddha, this is the work that we're all doing. And part of the work is that first noble truth of like, yeah, I'm suffering sometimes. Suffering sometimes. And if I am honest about it, then I'm uh, healthy. And if we're just stuffing it all of the time and pretending like we're not suffering, um, that was my sense, you know, in that kind of like people killing themselves because they're like, I don't want anybody to know. I can't handle it. The shame, the fear, the um, pressure to be, have my shit together uh, rather than like what we have was like a, a pressure to actually be vulnerable, a pressure, a, a culture of honesty and vulnerability is what we're trying to build, is what I believe the Dharma is trying to build. Again, I don't know that I'm the best at it and ours kind of getting together and on Zoom and uh, of making the opportunities, but I wanna be clear that that's what I believe and that that's what I believe is part of the Dharma, uh, is this honesty and this accountability and this freely offered forgiveness, 
not judgment. And there's this, this is sort of a tangent beside the point, but um, sometimes in spiritual circles, there becomes like a competitiveness and a judgment and a sort of petty, like using the teachings to be like, you're not perfect. Like you ever been around somebody and be like, that's not right speech. Or if you've been practicing Buddhism for a while, at some point, somebody will be like, not very Buddhist. You know, you just did not very Buddhist. <laughs> you know, and like Buddhist, like Dharma shaming. <laughs> and uh, it's unfortunate that it happens. I mean, it's natural. We're people and we judge each other. And um, I don't know. I was just really reflecting on the importance of humility and the humility to just admit like of course we fuck up sometimes and of course we aren't perfectly compassionate all of the time even though we want to be and of course we um you know are lonely or afraid or uh whatever um difficult emotion is coming it's just natural it's all and that all of the emotions that we have uh, our, our, our dharma, are part of the reality of being human. And that I, I think that even, even enlightenment, even awakening doesn't get rid of our difficult emotioning, emotions and, and thoughts and feelings. It just allows us to accept them more and be more friendly and, um, and humble about them. You know, like uh, I always think of the Buddha, fully enlightened being, you know, like the, we see the statue and we think like that dude didn't have any issues he was enlightened but he was quite humble about like you know my mind keeps attacking me and he, he called it mara you know and he's like this part of my mind keeps judging keeps craving keeps fearing keeps you know getting angry he's like but i don't take it personal anymore what happened for him was that he woke up and he's like i'm not my mind and it doesn't have power over me anymore I have a relationship to it. It's the question Katrina was asking about like that discernment, like what thoughts are wise <laughs> and trustworthy and what thoughts are Mara, are ignorant, are fear-based, are confused. And that happens with long-term practice. We see more clearly and we have more discernment. So I was just thinking about that. Um, and maybe this next piece is, connected. I was in meditation tonight. My, I have a knee injury from a motorcycle accident and, and it hurts kind of all of the time. And especially when I sit still for a half hour and cross my legs, it hurts a little bit more than normal. And, and um, I was just feeling like so grateful that mindfulness, that meditation, that the Dharma Buddhism, um, has taught me how to be uncomfortable. I'm so grateful that I know how to be uncomfortable and just be in pain and just be like, yep, I'm in pain. And that's okay. Like it's just, it's become normal just to be uncomfortable. It's, a, but it's, it's normal for us if you've been meditating for a while, but it's not a very um, common skill in our world for human beings. It's, and it's one of the reasons the Buddha said, this path goes against the stream. 
because in order to have the Buddhist liberation, awakening, you got to get really good at being in pain. You got to really learn how to be uncomfortable. I, I feel like it's uh, the, the term against the stream comes from a Buddhist word, patiso tagami, that comes in the suttas right after, which means against the stream. And it comes right after his awakening. And he was like, ah, I don't know if I can teach this to people. It's so counter to human nature. It's not like, uh, he's like, I'm going to go around and tell people, I can teach you how to be in pain <laughs> and not suffer about it. Everybody wants bliss. Everybody wants, you know, like, hey, I can teach you how to be, enjoy all of the time. I mean, look at all of the new age spiritual, you know, bliss chasing, uh, you know, culture that, that has, has developed. Like everybody wants to feel good all of the time. The Buddha's like, I can't, that's not my teaching. He's like, I'm going to teach you how to be uncomfortable. Just sit still, learn how to be uncomfortable, learn how to be. And it's just what you were saying, like to slow down and turn towards and be uncomfortable is part of our liberation. And because there's not culturally or, you know, and we don't, um, we don't put much value on tolerance. We don't put much value. I don't think we put much value on compassion and especially self-compassion. And so in that way, I wonder if it ties in a bit to humility and the willingness to, to be uh, honest and vulnerable and transparent and say like, uh, and, and, and tolerating the embarrassment or tolerating the uh, possible judgment of others when you're really real with them. Uh, it's really, for me, I, I feel that. I feel like, ooh, I don't wanna, I don't wanna tell them myself. I do it all of the time, but it, it's uncomfortable. But because meditation taught me to be uncomfortable, it be, it's easier to have that uncomfortable conversation. It's easier to have that, to be seen. Um, and meditation teaches us that. Learn how to sit with achy knees <laughs> and a loud mind. And then you learn how to be with your difficult emotions. And then you, you know, learn how to be in, with other people and their the you know intimacy the final frontier <laughs> you know of like really being seen and really being uh, open to each other and the loving kindness teaching in the metta sutta the buddha says um, as part of your practice if you want to be free uh, be humble he says, be humble and easily satisfied, easily contented. So there's this huge teaching around. And I think be humble isn't, um, you know, my own definition of humility isn't like meekness or pretending like you're not, like you're, in, sometimes I feel like humbleness feels like this sort of fake incompetence or something. But I think humbleness just means being honest about our imperfections and quick to take responsibility and not so defensive, not so reactive and defensive. You know, like when I can get a bit defensive, but 
I hope that, you know, what I try to, my own self view is when somebody says, hey, you did this, I feel a little like, oh, yeah, man, maybe I probably did do that, didn't I? <laughs> Very likely I did, you know, like, oh, I offended you? Like, probably did, you know? Um, and just taking responsibility, like, oh, yeah. But it's totally okay to offend each other. It's totally okay to not be perfect and to still be fully worthy of love and kindness and compassion and, and acceptance. Um, so just thinking about that and the importance of discomfort and humility and um, a couple of years ago when I was with one of my teachers, Ajahn Amaro, Many of you've heard me talk about this a lot. Uh, Mike brought him up tonight, these books on loving kindness. And, and he, he, said, um, he said, if you wanna really take this path, this Buddhist path that will bring you liberation. And we'll talk about that, you know, Richard's question about liberation and like, what, what's the point? Um, but if you wanna take it all the way or no matter where you wanna take it, even if you're just looking for stress reduction, even if you're only, you know, if you have a really low goal of like only wanting to be like 10% happier or some bullshit like that, that's okay too. Um, he said, you know, we have to learn how to be lonely. It's a skill to be lonely. Learn how to be and, you know, have that unpleasant feeling of not just being alone, but being alone and craving companionship and connection and, and learn how to just be with that. Like, okay, yeah, here I am. And I, I feel all alone. Can I tend to that loneliness and that desire for connection that I don't have in this moment? Learn to do that as a skill. Loneliness is a practice, as an opportunity. He said, learn to be hungry. Stop eating every time you're hungry. Stop, just be hungry. It's okay to be hungry. And, you know, I think that they, uh, the monks, you know, this is a, a guy who has not had a meal past noon for over 40 years. You know, when you become a monk in the Theravadan tradition, they take a vow to not eat anything after noon for the rest of their lives. So the dude knows about being hungry. He's like, I'm hungry every day. <laughs> and I just don't eat until breakfast the next day. And it's his practice. It's okay to have craving and not satisfy it, whether it's for people or for food or to practice renunciation, loneliness, hunger. He said, learn to be bored. We're in such a age of entertainment, distraction, scrolling on our phones, <laughs> surfing the web, watching the news, reading constantly, whatever we're doing to be like, well, I'm bored. I'm not gonna just sit here, I'm gonna do something. <laughs> 
one Dharma teacher wrote a book that said, don't just do something, sit there. And how counter to the world this path is. Now, having said all of that, and I believe it and I try to practice it, also, um, we can practice this stuff fully integrated into the world. And being bored is quite good, but also if you're going to uh, you know, use your smartphone, that can also be a mindfulness practice. You can mindfully scroll through Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, social media. You can, you can bring present time awareness to technology. The technology doesn't have to always be a distraction, but it's so important to turn it off sometimes. So important to just learn how to be. I was doing two write-ups today for upcoming silent meditation retreats, and I thought, oh, I should probably be a little bit more uh, clear about noble silence because all of the time I, I schedule retreats and teaching them for lots of years. And people show up and they're like, I didn't realize we had to really be silent. <laughs> and, and especially now with cell phones where people like don't want to turn their cell phones over or turn them off. Um, and there's like a, a, an addiction to the screens and to the contact and to the communication. And, um, and I was just reflecting on how, how much I have learned in my life from going into silence. Uh, and turning everything off and not reading any books and not doing any journaling and not making any eye contact with people and just being fully in our own experience and getting really bored and getting really hungry and getting really lonely and learning to tolerate all of it. Um, and sometimes when I'm talking like this, I see why uh, the Buddha was like, oh, I don't know if I want to teach this shit. This is a hard sell. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a hard sell. Come meditate with us. We will teach you how to be uncomfortable, emotionally vulnerable. <laughs> and it will end your suffering. Because this is the stuff we suffer about. Any questions, comments, clarifications just about this sort of topic, please? So when you were talking about suicide, I think that sometimes it is a real thing where people don't want to let people know that people have something to tell them. But I think, I think other times people lose faith in others' ability to care. Like there's nothing worse than burying your soul to somebody and you're not going to accept any of what you said. Yeah. And I think that that is an experience that a lot of people have. Is that that same voice that tells you you're a piece of shit, don't use, is the same voice that tells you nobody cares about you. Yeah. And I think that, that that's also something to examine is, you know, when you, 
Yeah, when you've been met with people in your life that are really kind of toxic, and then you're in a group of people that aren't toxic, that muscle memory tells you everybody's toxic when they're not, and you just lose faith in people's ability to care for you. Yeah. And I think I think that's the saddest thing of all is when people have people that love them and they just can't see it because that programming is just so ingrained in them yeah. that they can't talk about it. I just lost a friend um, on Saturday. We went to a funeral for a friend of mine um, who drank himself to death. And I saw him before he died and he was really fragile. And I tried touching base with him and it just wasn't, wasn't meshing. And then I found out that he died. And I think that that, you know, and this isn't the first friend that I've had that happened to. And I think that's really what it, it comes down to for some people is they're just so desperately lonely and so desperate to connect, but so terrified that they will, like they get that little bit of strength to talk about it. And then someone's like, oh, sorry, you're in the wrong foundation. Yeah. I think that that's, you know. Yeah, no, I think I, I, I appreciate what your, your reflections on that and sounds resonates with me it's true that that's a big part of that dynamic um and i think you addressed it already uh, but i just want to reiterate the importance of wise friendships um i I heard what you said around like sometimes even when we find ourselves in wise community still that conditioning of distrust and uh, is so strong that we we don't really, or we pick the wrong person, that sort of <laughs> attraction to like, I'm going to pick the one person in the room who's not going to give me any empathy. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes that's it. But um, our best bet is wise friendships, is community, is finding. And, you know, Tara's question, which I'll get into more, but that... Um, uh, the word that came to my mind was like relationship triage. Well, you know, of like which of these really, you know, I'm like I know a lot of people, but which of them are really trustworthy, are really healthy, are really supportive, and which ones are sort of my casual friends, and which ones are the sort of negative ones, and you know, uh, and who, where do I really put my energy and my attention, and you know, to really connect and sustain relationships with um and again like i want to say sangha 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 but um you know i've had some terrible experiences in buddhist communities from people that i thought like uh, were sangha um that uh you know were just like oh nope you're dead to me like whoa wait a minute we're our communication is over like 20 years 30 years that's it um so, you know, I don't want to totally over-idealize Buddhist communities or spiritual communities because often um, they're not, you know, not, not gonna, it's not perfect, of course. I was talking to, a, um, talking to my therapist a couple of years ago and um, I was really suffering about uh, some feelings of betrayal and loss. And she said to me, it's okay to need people. And I immediately said, no, it isn't. (laughs) You can't need is like clinging. I'm a Buddhist. I don't cling. I don't need 
And then I reflected on it and I said, um, well, of course I do need people, but nobody in particular. It doesn't have to like, I need people, I need relationships, I need healthy, wise, loving relationships, but I don't need it to be that individual. When that person goes or I go or, you know, in the kind of separation, I need people and I'm, I'm a community person. I, I always have been, you know, from a young age, I wanted to be with the punks and the skaters and the surfers and I want to be part of the crew. I've always been kind of community minded. That's not true for everybody. Some of you are, are loners by nature. Um, community for me has always been important, but communities are transient. And, you know, the Sangha, um, you know, some of the people uh, will come and go over the years. And, um, and, you know, maybe you'll be one of the persons that goes and, you know, having, I've taught this Monday night class for, I think, 16 years, every Monday. And once in a while, somebody will come back through. They've been like, haven't seen you in 12 years and I'm back, you know, or people will come for a few years and then they'll drift off or they'll come back. And there's a handful of people that have been coming for 15 years, like, you know, just like steadily coming through, but the community is transient and like, we need community, but we have to also accept impermanence and that, you know, relationships will often have a beginning, a middle and an end. And sometimes they will re-emerge, recycle. Anyways, I'll leave it there for tonight. It's nine o'clock. It's almost nine. Actually, I can take one more. Tibby, go ahead. Go ahead. Afterwards? Yeah, you can take All right, I'll, I'll shut it down. We can talk afterwards. Um, Jose, is it quick? You can ask it. Jump in there real quick. Uh it's probably not that quick, so. <laughs> well, um, just uh, let me condense it. Um, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, it was about suicide prevention, and it said that it was okay to save people even if they look okay, uh, what you appreciate about them being there, um, because the truth is like, you never know what uh, people are going through. I like that. that, that just kind of like check in on people, even if they look okay, is that the core of what you were saying? Um, more than checking up, um, because um, it uh, the problem is like how are you? Oh, I'm okay. Right. Uh, see, I, I will meet uh, how um, something with the coffee uh, every once in a while. Like the person talking, like she. He hate uh, that her son uh, left her cereal in the table instead of in the sink. And then uh, when the kid was gone, she realized that she missed that. So 
I did not have to express that to other people, but is on that direction. I don't totally um, understand the full content of the, the comment, Jose, but happy to try to discuss it at another time since we're, we're out of time for tonight. Yeah. And thank you for being here. And thank you everyone for, for being here. Um, we'll leave it at that for tonight. Against the Stream is a nonprofit organization that is supported by the generosity of everyone who attends. So uh, we asked for a $15 donation for drop-in Monday night classes. And we also ask, I ask, I encourage, if you can, if you're interested, to become a monthly supporter of, of Against the Stream to, uh, on our website. There's a link in the um, chat that um, Jeff and Emily have posted there to um, say, I, I just want to give 25 or 50 or $100 a month to support the organization so that we can pay the rent and, and stay open. And, um, so if you can become a monthly supporter and um, please do consider that, or if you'd like to just give a one-time donation for the class, please do that. Everyone's welcome, regardless of ability to pay. It's not about the money, but of course there's expenses associated with having a meditation center. So please help support us. There are two other weekly classes at Against the Stream, Wednesday nights with Jason Murphy and uh, Friday nights with Ward Robinson. Both of those are on Zoom. Wednesday nights is also live in person here. Um, Jason's going to be out of town next week. It'll be Ward subbing for him. Come check out Ward uh, Wednesday night. And um, announcement about the Silent Against the Stream retreat that will be in October coming soon. It's all scheduled. It's happening. It's October 10th through 17th. So um, we'll actually get to be together and be uncomfortable and lonely and hungry all together. It'll be, it'll be amazing. Many goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be shared outward in all directions. May each one of us awaken and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.